This show is supported by generous listeners like you through our Patreon. This episode was underwritten by the Tamsin G Association and Surreptitious Hugger Mugger Foundation. To learn more about ways to support Oh My Dollar and get cool perks like exclusive live streams and cat stickers, you can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbeek. Mike Merrill is the world's only publicly traded person, which means he sells shares in himself and allows the shareholders to vote on his life. He's obsessed with concepts and focuses less on practical details, leading to many half-baked projects. He's currently writing a ghost-written, crowdsourced fanfiction about himself, lives in a cabin in Los Angeles, and has left technology to work in advertising. Full disclosure, I am a shareholder of Mike. Shareholders, which are friends and strangers, vote on Mike's life decisions ranging from how he's going to dress, which required him to wear Brooks Brothers suits only for years, if he should subscribe to Spotify, what color to paint his house, and even his reproductive choices. If shareholders buy more shares of him, they have more votes in his life. When he was featured in Playboy, his stock price shot up. So I'm so excited to have Mike on because this is the weirdest personal finance experiment ever. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> and uh, the other part of the disclosure is you also helped me get out of credit card debt. Yeah, I, I guess I, I failed to mention that. So I got paid in shares, which right. is probably one of the coolest like trades <laughs> that I've been paid in, uh, which... Uh, it, you're in some healthy competition, so. Well, I just like that you haven't cashed out yet. It means, <laughs> it means yeah, you have like that long-term view. Yeah, I, well, as as we've mentioned on this show, I'm in investing for the long term, so. Like uh, it's hard to get in an index fund of people, though, because you're the only one. That's true. <laughs> Maybe someday. I, you know, I like to say I'm the world's first publicly traded. Oh person. yes. So fingers crossed there'll be more. I I think I think it's possible. Um, okay, so you're probably the longest-running personal art project focused around the stock market. I think that's probably fair, uh, unless you think the whole stock market is an art project, which is entirely possible. Arguable. Why did you decide to do this in the first place? I feel like I was talking about the idea for years before I did it, and it was something... I didn't have the technical ability to launch it, but it, it I was doing a lot of collaborative projects, uh, online mostly, and I, there was a lot of people coming in and out of these different endeavors, and I was like, oh, like, capitalism, for all of its flaws, has kind of solved at least this problem. You know, like, here's a way that people can come in, they can invest, they could, like, participate financially or in person, be paid in shares, and then exit and, you know, take money off the table, and it all kind of works, quote-unquote. So, like, you ended up applying this to your life, but I, it seems like in the beginning you were kind of thinking about it from the perspective of, like, other sort of projects. Oh, yeah. It was in no way intended to control my life initially. <laughs> that was the that was the invisible hand of the market grabbing me by my lapels and dragging me um, in that direction. Uh, yeah, it started just as a way to sort of launch uh, projects and have have the people that are participating in them also have a stake in them. Um, through the voting mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it became very apparent very quickly that what people wanted was more personal control and that that was the part that was more interesting. And so I just I started like giving up more and more of that control. 
And you've been doing this for a long time, right? Yeah, it launched in 2008, so it's been 10 years. Oh my gosh. So I so we first met very briefly uh, when we were both presenting at a, um, I think it was Ignite, and it was, the theme was exposure. So I was there presenting on the World Naked Bike Ride, and you were there on the fact that you had exposed your life to shareholders. Yes, <laughs> and control, I think, is the weird part of that exposure, because they they are allowed a certain amount of insight that is probably, wouldn't normally be the amount that I put out publicly. Right. I think I folks that follow me on social media know that I tend to allow a lot of my life be up to public vote. And really, I should probably just move it into the stock market. But like my current haircut is entirely based on an Insta Stories poll right now. So which is great. But <laughs> the the amazing thing about if you gave people shares is that then the people that are the most invested in you have a bigger say than people really far away. You're judging everyone based just like, oh, one person, one vote. Right. Which is great for democracy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, but like, theoretically, my agent should have more influence on my haircut than, exactly. like, you know, a random person that follows yep. me. Or even, like, it was Instagram and, like, half of my followers are cats on there. So, like, who who knows how many maybe, cats Maybe they get on. half votes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Or, like, twice the votes because they're cats. Well, that's true. I just don't know if I trust cats hairstyling. That's probably true. My cat has great hair. It's all over the house. So, uh, so you decided to do this, and you had to build a stock market, right? <laughs> yes, which seems simple. I think in the abstract, you're like, oh, they're they exist. How hard can it be? You just like you just buy something and then you sell something, and there's only one thing to buy and sell. Uh, it, it's not simple. Um, so I initially paid a friend of mine. Five hundred dollars and five hundred shares to make the to make the website, which is um, a steal. I got a great deal. Uh, <laughs> it was also, I think, maybe his first, at least one of his first web projects ever. So, who knows? Maybe he put a backdoor in there. I don't know. But at the time, I launched when I launched, shares were one dollar per share. Okay. Um, now they're up to like, I think, just over five dollars a share. And at one time, they were as high as $20 a share. Yeah, I um, I have an Alexa briefing that plays every morning when I listen to the news that tells me how your share price is doing. So, Yeah, it's a harsh way for me to start my morning, <laughs> um, but it's fine. Does your own self-value sometimes correlate to your stock value? Not sometimes, all the time. Really? It's, it's hard to change. Um, one of my first jobs in Portland uh, when I lived here was at a big giant corporate company and they had the stock price uh, like up on the wall. I worked for like a vendor to this company so I wasn't like part of this, but everyone's investment was, or everyone's like retirement was in the stock of the company. And so because that board was up there telling them up or down, like the days when the stock market was down, everyone came in depressed. And wow. as it went up, like, like it affected morale in this way that I was like, that's so stupid. Just have the long-term view and whatever. And now I'm living it and I'm like, no, I get it. Cause I think yeah. we've, we've talked about on the show why I think it's really important if you're, you have a tendency towards anxiety or depression to really put your portfolio on autopilot so that you're not regularly checking your like retirement portfolio. Right. And you have that kind of like baked into your everyday life. It's because I can't help but think somebody sold. Like that means somebody wanted out. You know, and, and it's like there's plenty of reasons that you might want out. Maybe you want to, 
you know, put some of your money into something more stable. Maybe like you're concerned Bitcoin. about this weird yeah, thing affecting your taxes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you just need to like, you know, you want to buy a, you know, a nice dinner for yourself. There's plenty of reasons. It doesn't matter. But that what I've I've kind of reprogrammed myself to think like, oh, that also means somebody's buying, which is great. So yeah. somebody's increasing their position by the same amount because all of the trades happen between shareholders. Right. So it's that's the price that reflects what really just like, it's pretty low volume, so it's like what those two people decided the price should be. Right. I um. So my partner is, I, I think, still maybe your largest shareholder, and um, and I know that he was selling a bunch of his shares when there were a bunch of people interested in buying shares after you had media some media exposure. Um, which I don't know, maybe my listeners will be interested and that will happen after this show. Uh, but, and, and it was more about like, oh, I just want to sell a few shares so that I can like reduce the amount of influence I have on Mike's everyday life. Because if he voted one way or something on, on any sort of vote, it could totally shift the entire vote. He just recently probably through that selling became the second highest shareholder. So he's, uh, but he is also now he does a lot of the programming work on the site and gets paid in shares. So then he'll probably rise back up again. I hope the IRS isn't listening to this. Uh, <laughs> well, they're not it's, real. It's an art project. Exactly. So, the, yeah. it, these aren't. That's. An, and I think that's an important distinction. Is I'm using the model of a stock market to really represent a decision making engine. Like this is a way to take coll- a bunch of people's collective ideas about a, a about something and measure that influence. Do you think your shareholders are better decision makers than you would be in the absence of your shareholders? I'm not sure if it's better or worse. I, I don't because there's no there's no there's nothing to compare it to and I've been doing it for so long. Like even when I'm thinking about making a decision that I don't put up for vote, I often think about the shareholders. I'm it's like, what would the shareholders have me do? Mm-hmm. You know, like what's what's the right, you know, like I wake up and I'm like, oh, I don't have to wear Brooks Brothers anymore, but I still put on like a collared shirt today. I mean, this shirt actually is Brooks Brothers, but still there's a lot of legacy clothes left over from that period <laughs> of my life. Um, but I still think about like what they would have me do and what the right thing to do is as defined by that group of people. I just want to say this shirt looks absurdly fancy for Portland, so... It, you look you look very sharp. When I lived in Portland, it it I think the reason one of the reasons that I really like went towards that well first of all the Brooks Brothers store opened. It's since closed because people in Portland don't like to dress nice. <laughs> um and by nice I mean like boring and formal, not yeah. nice like what we N- actually nice think of like as nice. Nice like what would appeal in a yacht club exactly. in a different city. Um, and kudos to Portland for that because um, uh, I adopted it because I was selling shares of myself and repre- I was like the personal embodiment of capitalism Right. and what better clothes to wear than Brooks Brothers. I, I went so far, like literally all the way. I mean, like I had no clothes in my closet for a couple years that were not Brooks Brothers, which was great in that way that people will adopt a uniform in order to simplify choices like Mm -hmm. it really made me think a lot more about clothes even because i had such a limited option i'd go in and be like first of all everything's expensive so that's terrible and then uh so i'd be like okay i can get one shirt you know and Mm -hmm. and i'd really like think it through or if like um if i blew out an elbow on a dress shirt or something like well i have to get that repaired because i'm not going to go back and like buy another one so You're not gonna go buy another 200 dollars shirt yeah i think they're like 75 but still it's too much that for is it. still a lot yeah for a shirt um so yeah I, I i learned a lot about clothes by limiting that my options in that way interesting so has 
participating in this project change your relationship with money? Like it's definitely changed your consumption habits in that way. Has it has it changed how you think about money? I don't know that it's changed it in a positive way. <laughs> like I think of it as this weird concept. Like I was explaining to somebody the other day that I think of money sort of like the points in a role-playing game that you use towards magic, like mana or something, where it's just like, like, oh, you have this amount of points that you can use to influence other people's behavior. That's what money is in my mind. Like it's a tool to make people do what you want. It's like casting a spell. And the more money you have, the stronger spells you can cast. But the more money another person has, the more resistant they are to your spells. So if you just think of money if you think of yourself as a wizard and money is your power, it applies in almost every situation that you think about spending money. Uh, and it makes sense when you think about how advertising works and how that's a bunch of powerful wizards getting together to try to influence your behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, But then if you're, if you're really rich, most ads don't work on you. Something that I have found really interesting as I've had access to more wealth, which is, you know, I, I don't have a lot of it, but, you know, compared to... Compared to my really broke days, now sometimes it really does feel like I'm kind of waving a wand because I'm like, I can just make this problem go away. And a phrase that I'd always heard, which is like, if if money can make a problem go away, it's not a real problem, which I think is, is total crap because lots of people have real problems that money is a barrier to because they don't have money. Um, but... But I understand from, like, the greater human experience, right? Like, death is a problem that money can't make go away currently. And Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the disease and war are, are things that are hard to throw money at those problems right. in the same way that, like, you, you missed your flight is a problem that, like, you can probably throw money at and make go away. And it, it feels huge and massive if you're... It, if you're in certain positions in life, but there is a point at which you're like, oh, I can just like, this could be the worst. This could be the worst day I have all year, or I could just use money and make this problem go away. And and I think for me, that was the danger of the credit card because, mm -hmm. because I could quickly solve an immediate problem and think, oh, I'll just, I'll just earn that back later because it's worth it in the moment. And and that's how I think I just got into more and more trouble with it is yeah. because it was it was too easy to essentially spend the power of a of a much larger wizard, you know, right. and then you're like, oh, and that wizard wants his money back. So that's where I got into trouble was was recognizing the power of it and just being like, oh, this solves my problem. That's great. And then. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But if it's not real money, that's the. That's hard when you play in fake money kind of all day with your own. And, you know, like, I think I, people are often, because this project is about money and there are, you know, there are 100,000 shares and they've, they've, they're not all out floating. I haven't sold them all, but they're all like, uh, my, I have a stock price and I was always wearing Brooks Brothers. People assume that I had a lot more money than I, than I did. And I think I also, you know, like in spending definitely too much on clothes as part of that conceptual project of only wearing Brooks Brothers, I, I, I represented that, you know, and then, but really it was, I was, you know, not that far from paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I was doing a little bit better than that. I had some savings and whatnot, but um, yeah, it was, it's all, I mean, I think it's all fake. Like even, it, especially if someone's presenting is like very 
rich it's like the richer you present it's like well then i don't know i question it yeah have you i'm assuming you've read millionaire next door i have not oh you should read millionaire next door um it's it's a really classic personal finance book and um you know i i think it's time for another update but essentially it's the largest survey of millionaires kind of ever conducted and it looks at their personal habits and the average american millionaire is like has a stay-at-home partner works in a very unsexy field works in owns their own business and works in a field like trash collecting or um you know uh sewage sewage treatment or something like that uh lives in the midwest their home value is you know in the 200,000s their spouse still clips coupons I mean, the average millionaire in America is like a white dude, too, right, in his 50s. Um, Doesn't shop at Brooks Brothers, doesn't own a pair of jeans over $100. And there is a image of wealth that is very much debt, is a debt-driven culture that people get caught up in. And they don't realize that, like, the average millionaire doesn't drive a Cadillac, Um, that a accumulating wealth and true wealth very rarely looks like the rap video version of wealth um but you know advertising is all about selling you that version of wealth and then finding a way for you to overextend your credit for the banks that advertise to you and i think none of us are like sitting around making a list that says oh i want that specific lifestyle right like like if if i sit down and i'm like what do i want to accomplish it has almost nothing to do with physical purchases of anything. You know, it's like, I just need a laptop. That's all I need yeah. ever. And so as I think about it, it's like, oh, what do I actually want and where do I want to spend my money? And it's it's not on smart things. It's not like I'm saying like, oh, it's better than buying physical goods or whatever. I want to spend money on really stupid things um, because I get enjoyment out of that. But if I'm out buying a lot of things, I don't get to spend money in the way that's fun for me. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about it in that way, it's like, oh, I think we all just have to think like, what's our own personal rap video and save up for those things. And don't don't buy the things in somebody's rap video that you see because that's definitely not yours. Yeah. Uh, we talked about um, like kind of curbing impulse purchases on a past episode. And one thing that I've been using for, oh, a terrifyingly long amount of time now, like 14 years is a spreadsheet called things I want and I every time I like have a consumer purchase that I want to make even really silly things I will put it down and then I will put the value that it represents to me and like a price and also what um, how much I want it right mm-hmm. at the time that right. I record it and I and I'll put the date that it's on there and I have for purchases over a certain amount which is fairly low for me it's like $20 for non-essential purchases I have a waiting period of 24 hours um, which usually cools any absolutely ridiculous purchases yep. um, like you know cat stickers are a great example like <laughs> things I really like but like I don't need more of them and I have found that incredibly valuable because it has also helped me see how my ideal lifestyle has kind of changed over the past 14 yeah, years. That log like, over time is Punk would rock be me wanted different things. Yep. But also a lot of my core values have stayed the same. Like my idea of what, because style is one of my core values because I, I really like the aesthetics of style, but like punk rock 18-year-old Lily's idea of what was style is very different than my ideas of style now. Right. When I, one of my, like, like as I started to dress, quote unquote, better, and I feel like I started being more aware of what style was 
and I would get upset with people, not not because they were not um, dressed like nice, but because it seemed like they weren't putting like any thought or effort into it. And it's like dress as weird. Uh, like I basically came to this idea of like just dress with intention, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Like it could be simple or whatever. And and that's that's when I like respect how someone dresses. And that has nothing to do with money at all, which right. is great. I also have learned to appreciate some people just really don't care. I like wish that I did not care about clothes as much as I do um, because I definitely don't care about clothes in the way that like a style blogger would, but I like notice and think about them a lot. Um, but I live the kind of lifestyle that's incredibly hard on my clothes, which makes that <laughs> connection really, really. And I'm very cheap, which is, it's all just, it's all very complicated. Anyway, this yeah. is not the clothing episode. Uh, so what sort of wall street scenarios do you want to see happen in the K-Mikey-M experiment? Well, I never really got to do like a traditional IPO because mm. when I launched this project, it, there just wasn't the demand for it. So I do these sort of smaller annual auctions of different sorts. And I've also got to experiment with options like um, pay me now and to lock in a future price of a sale. And so that was really fun. I've never done shorting. I would love to figure out that scenario and it's wildly complicated. And that's when yeah. I loan you a stock and you sell it and then hope that the price goes down so you can buy it cheaper and give that stock back to me. Shorting would be fun. And, and because then what shorting allows me to do is anyone who hates this project and there are people that just could just take their money to their core. I'm just like, well, if you hate it so much, just short the stock, you know, and then you'll benefit when this whole thing tanks. Uh, so that would be really fun. Um, Isn't everything kind of insider trading? Well, I, it's funny. I was just talking about this today with someone. I am the like product and also management of the quote unquote company. I'm I'm also like some of the product. I'm the management. I'm the market. And so I yeah. figure I'm also like the equivalent of the enforcement agent. <laughs> and so I've just decided there is no insider trading because okay. it makes it easier. All right. That, I like that. Also, if you think about like a futures market, you want to encourage insider trading because then that represents the ultimate like true value of the thing. Right. And so I, I, that's my other argument for it. Um, what about a hostile takeover? Oh, that'd be amazing. I would love that. I mean, I, it would scare me, but I, I love that idea. I might have to find some other shareholders to work on that. Or a leveraged buyout. Like if I borrowed a bunch of money to buy out my shareholders, I could take myself private. That would be fun. Yeah. I feel like it would yeah. be a really fun way to exit the project would be to do some sort of leveraged buyout. Yeah, like a hostile takeover that takes the company private and then I don't know what they do with it or me after that. I think um, then you rebrand. Oh, yeah. And, and then you do an IPO, IPO of a new corporation that is you, but yep. it's a totally new brand. I like that idea. Like legally change your name or something. Yes. Yeah. I love that idea. Uh, all right. Well, we'll follow the project to find out if that happens in the future. I mean, literally, I think there's there's a parallel between any sort of financial concept and, you know, like my at least personal life in some way. And, and I want to explore all of them. So like anytime that I'm reading some finance book about something i'm just like oh how do i do that you know how do i apply that personally are you going to do anything for like the 10th anniversary of doing this i had some ideas and i didn't do any of them <laughs> and the year is running out one thing i did recently was launch a new website 
my website right now, like when I put a question up, it's it's a yay or nay vote. And so the idea was here are these big proposals and the shareholders will vote on these kind of like overarching ideas and then all sort of like as management implement them in whatever way I see fit. I like the idea of a little bit more fine-tuned control. So there's a new site where I'm going to experiment with multiple choice. Mm. And then along with that, I'm like, well, what if other people could do this but maybe they don't need the whole market side because I feel like there's some confusion there. So I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I have this idea that I would take a trip. My shareholders basically uh, have mandated that I go on a vacation of sorts to Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And my idea is if this thing all works in time to give them fine-tuned control of my entire trip. Oh, So I'd be like, I'm at the airport. Do I go to? And then just like list four options. And they respond immediately, and then I go. And then so it's, it's like, choose your own adventure, but literally, it's choose someone else's adventure. Yeah, choose my own. You yeah. choose my own adventure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But, oh. So, do you want to stay a publicly traded person forever? I think so. I forever I, being, I guess, the definition of your life. Right. There's. I. It's only been. Po- there's been. It hasn't only been positive. There's been some downsides, but it's been mostly positive, almost entirely positive. And now I, like I said, I think about it. I have a Slack channel that I'm in every day where I'm talking to the shareholders all the time. I'm emailing them about like where I'm going and what I'm doing. So it, that community might still exist if I was no longer publicly traded. But I like the idea that there's all these people invested in me doing better so that the stock price goes up. Yeah, that's a pretty nice feeling. I think that's I think a lot of people want that. But I feel like this is like the quintessential millennial life crowdsourcing where where right. like everybody's just like, should I eat this smoothie? Twitter poll. Like and you have been doing it way before any of that really existed. So I feel like you've tapped yeah. into something. I think we're all we all have people that are invested in our future and there's we all have people that we turn to advice for. Um I would say the the flaw in my system, as my mom pointed out, is that you shouldn't necessarily equate the influence people have in your life with how much money they've given you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, fair enough, mom. But we also, as a society, put a lot of value on that. And so it's a little bit of a reflection of that as well. But, I mean, we all have, you know, no man is an island. No person is an island, to update that saying. In in many ways, doing... So I launched a Patreon uh, a couple of weeks ago for the show, but it's also kind of just generally for my projects. And in many ways, I have allowed people to use money to have control over the show and <laughs> my life. I mean, <laughs> it would be amazing if you could say, hey, here are... Or who do you want as a guest? And if you could prioritize based on who's backed you the most, right? Yeah, like that which I totally like, can yeah. do. Yeah. I yep. have complete power to do that. I am planning on... Um, I, I think it's time to update our artwork for the podcast mm-hmm. going on two years i definitely got the art- artwork off fiverr it doesn't even really look like me <laughs> um so and you know since then we've like published a book filled with a bunch of adorable cats right so uh i think it's time to update the artwork and i, I think i'm going to let all the patreon backers like actually vote on the artwork um which i think will be Theoretically, if they back the Patreon, they care about the show. So, <laughs> yeah, and if I mean the only that's one step away from what I do. If if you if you value their votes based on how much they've contributed, you're basically doing the same thing that I'm doing. Yep. Yeah, you're. I think is it's a more beautiful expression of it than the Patreon. But I do kind of have a share price because you yeah. uh, you have a publicly available number on the Patreon of how many people are backing right. you and how much you're raising per month. And I'm sure as people either change what they back or if they no longer can afford it, when you see that number go down, that affects you 
a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And, and literally affects my ability to, you know, like pay the rent. Right. So <laughs> the downside of my system is it's just the shareholders trading money back and forth. Yep. I don't often get that money. So that makes it your system is maybe more lucrative. <laughs> You're maybe more of a capitalist than I am. <laughs> right. The Oh, I we totally failed to mention, but community through capitalism is sort of the tagline of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's this group of people that are all invested in the, you know, like control is such a like negative word, but like they're they're invested in my future. They want me to do great things. Okay. I think that's an excellent note to end on, but there's something I ask every guest, which is what is your greatest personal money decision and what is your worst man i think mine is the same thing and, it, and it's something that i um sheepishly encourage everyone to do and that's to burn a one dollar bill <laughs> there is if if you think of the value of a dollar it's not that great a single a single dollar and i i look at it in the same way of like money being magic i look at it as a way to prove that money has no control over you Mm. You can burn a dollar and just watch it burn, and it's like literally you get nothing out of it. And especially if you do it in front of a group of people, there's no more entertainment value. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's positive or negative because it will be a mix of both that you will get than burning a dollar in front of your friends. They will go crazy. Mm. And that's a good idea, and it's a bad idea because I've done it more than once. I have a couple fifty dollar bills in my wallet. That, well, that's know. see, that's well, level, I get more power out yes, of. Yes, that's level two because then if someone's willing to do it, then I'm like, oh, would you burn a five dollar bill? And then they're like, eh, and you sh you start working up. Ah, uh, all right. Is this part of the seeing money as magical thing? It it is, and yeah. and to be honest, like I haven't done it very much lately, and I tend to only do it when I have a. A little bit too much to drink, um, and I get a little belligerent <laughs> about money. But um, I do think there's something powerful about just like just one time, even if you're all alone, just like just destroy one dollar, just to prove that it has no power over you. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the most unique personal finance tip we have gotten on the show, which I would expect no less from you. So thank you so much for joining us today. And it, it's great. If people want to see this weird experiment and uh, possibly maybe look into being a shareholder, where do they find you? I have the worst URL of all time. It's kmikeym. That's k-m-i-k-e-y-m.com. Uh, but if you Google Mike Merrill or KMikeym, you'll find me everywhere. Or just publicly traded person. Yeah, any of that. I, there's been some press about it, which helps my Google juice, so I'm easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. All right, just a quick reminder that we are on a mission to get to 50 reviews and 100 ratings on iTunes before the end of the year. Right now, we are at 12 reviews and 50 ratings. It takes three minutes to leave a review, so please help us out. That wraps our show for today. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki, and I'm Lillian Carebake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening, and until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you.